Welcome to Ogilav Nanagus. Conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologist Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody at www.storyarchaeology.com Series 1 Mythical Women Episode 6 Encountering the Morrigan The Battle of Moitura ends with a series of poems spoken by the Morrigan. This is my version of one of those poems, taken from Isolde's translation. Beneath the peaceful heavens lies the land. It rests beneath the bowl of the bright sky. The land lies, itself a dish, a cup of honeyed strength, there, there for the taking, offering strength to each. There it lies, the splendour of the land. The land is like a mead worth the brewing, worth the drinking. It stores for us the gifts of summer, even in winter. It protects and armours us, a spear upon a shield. Here we can make for ourselves strong places, the fist holding the shield. Here we can build safe places, our spear-bristling enclosures. This is where we will turn the earth. This is where we will stay. And here will our children live to the third of three generations. Here there will be a forest point of field fences, the horn counting of many cows, and the encircling of many fields. There will be sheltering trees, so fodder full of beech mast that the trees themselves will be weary with the weight. In this land will come abundance, bringing wealth for our children, every boy a warrior, every watchdog warrior fierce, the wood of every tree spear-worthy, the fire from every stone a molten spear stream, every stone a firm foundation, every field full of cows, every cow calf fertile. Our land shall be rich with banks in birdsong, grey deer before spring and fruitful autumns. The plain shall be thronged from the hills to the shore, full and fertile. And as time runs its sharp and shadowy journey, this shall be true. This shall be the story of the land and its people. We shall have peace beneath the heavens forever. Well, this week, I haven't begun with a story. Every other week there's been a story, but not this time. This is a version, as I said, of one of the poems of prophecy spoken by the Morrigan at the end of the great story of the Battle of Moitura. Your translation is older, of course. I found it difficult to select a story. Now, she does appear in all the story cycles, except the Fenian, maybe. And there are reasons for that, but we'll That's come to it. Another day's work. It is, when we come to look at Fionn. She, trouble is, she shapeshifts in and out of the stories. She sort of comes in, makes something happen, and then she vanishes, you know, just like thin air. She's never the same twice. And, um, oh, mind you, she seems to talk, talk a lot about poetry, particularly in the Moitura story. Can, can you set that one in context? Well, in terms of the context, as you said, this does come at the end of both the story of Moitura mm -hmm. and the Battle of Moitura. Mm -hmm. But it's one of a pair of poems that wraps up the entire... Uh, telling of that story and they're both poems of prophecy speaking about the future and how the future will be the one that we've 
listened to there or the version we've listened to there speaks of the time of peace and prosperity and a happy ending yeah, and i made it fit about to, 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 she's talking about the land but it really is about you know i say this yeah and that's the way it's gonna be exactly yeah but she has another uh poem which is right beside this one in the text and that one doesn't have such a happy outcome it's almost like in order to balance the positive view that she's given of the world to come, she has to balance it out in case things go wrong. Oh, this is the one where it goes a summer without a winter without summer and Yes, yeah, that that everything goes wrong and society falls apart and the land is infertile. So they sort of balance yeah, each they other. They do. They form a balance to each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, but both are put in that prophetic context. It's an odd style, isn't it? I mean, the, the poetry, the, the translation you gave me, oh boy, it's so terse, almost to the, well, it's just so obscure. And this is why it isn't often translated, a yeah. lot of this poetry. But every bit, it's like short descriptions. For instance, the only bit I took exactly as you gave me was grey deer before spring. Yeah. But the poetry is very interesting. It is, and it's a form of poetry that's known as rusk or ruskad. And it's been shown to be really a, quite an ancient form of poetry. Mm. And it doesn't uh, follow strict rules of meter, rhythm and rhyme in the way that you get, for example, in medieval bardic poetry, which yeah. is highly densely structured. This is a non-rhyming, non-rhythmic form of poetry um, that has these some often very short lines with only a few words in them that create a description such as sav ingav summer in winter yeah but there's such powerful descriptions that sometimes they almost like as if everything's everything has been pared down distilled yes distilled down to that moment of, of description yeah and uh, one of the reasons that they tend not to be fully translated in the published translations uh, as you said is because they're difficult to interpret. The language is often quite archaic and it doesn't follow strict grammatical rules. But then the part of the function of poetry is to preserve language yeah. because of its structure. It keeps an, an older language going so that the people who are speaking the poem don't necessarily understand all of it. But, but there's good clues in it then. There are, yes. Yeah. Um, there's, isn't there another poem that brings, just before then, that goes, Kings arise to battle. Sounds a bit like something out of Tolkien. Yeah? <laughs> it, it does a bit. It, it appears immediately before, if you like, the action of the battle itself. And um, I studied these three poems. Because that's all you get is Kings arise to battle, dot, dot, dot. dot, dot. dot. And I yes. wanted to know what followed <laughs> on. Yeah. Um, I, I studied these three poems as a set that one the king's arise to the battle mm. then the if you like the happy ending and and the not so happy ending yeah. of the two prophecies um i worked on them for my masters and what i found that was very interesting was that when i just took the poems out of context and uh, sort of put them one after the other they seemed to continue on exactly one from the next and so it occurred to me that this might actually be the original way of telling the story was mm -hmm. just through these poems. And as the language became more obscure and hidden in the mists of history, that more and more prose padding had to be added to explain it all. Because they got too difficult for people to understand. Yeah. Too archaic. Yes. Yeah. Until now, we, we really think, I mean, we only have the prose. Yeah. And we're going, oh, we can't translate that stuff. Yeah. But it's fascinating. You told me that Kings Arise to Battle is all about 
about her giving power. And it is. And again, it's a statement of this is how things... It's almost like a, a commentary of how things are happening. Uh, she's describing a, a vision of the battle and saying how fires spread and, you know, flesh is rendered. And it's uh, said in the prose to give courage and incitement to the side that she is supporting. So she's shouting on her side. Yeah. She's a bit of cheerleader. a cheerleader. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's become, a, or is, a popular figure in uh, Irish mythology. You know, the Morrigan... Um, a lean and nimble hag leaping over the spears of battle. I think that's a description of from her last um, official performance at the Battle of Clontarf for a thousand years ago. But certainly, where she, you know, she, she's often seen as a nightmare figure, gleefully heralding death, destruction. There's another thing. She's usually a trilogy, so there are three of her. Well, actually, should I say there is three of her? Uh, well, that's a, <laughs> a point of grammar, perhaps. Uh, but she certainly does appear, like in the Battle of Moitura, as we've just seen, prophesying about battle and war, which includes death by necessity. But then that's not really surprising because a lot of the stories that get told are about battles. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the Battle of Moitura, yeah. the cattle raid of Kool, Kool. You know, they're, yeah. they're all battle stories. Exactly, yeah. So, so we don't complain about the others always being involved in battle. No, exactly. And But what she is doing is she's prophesying. So she and uh, and often as well she's inciting her side to courage or the enemy like side, said earlier, the she's other cheering side to fear on. yeah she can also bring fear to the other side so she has a role both in terms of fear and courage yeah but those are also just the roles of a poet the role of a poet is to um say great things about the people that they're allied to and nasty things about the enemy that's true. She's not the only poet mentioned in Moitura, and they no. all seem to have that same job. I yeah. mean, Kay, who's supposed to be a druid, but also as a poet, uh, he's nude as poet. Mm -hmm. And uh, then it was Loch, who was Index's yeah. poet. And he has a really, uh, even after Index dead, yeah. he still seems to have this in, incredible power to to uh, conduct the battle, affect the, or affect the conduct of the battle anyway. Yeah. Um, well, he, he has the, the uh, he's empowered to speak for the king, essentially, and negotiate yeah, for his authority. side. Yeah. The poets seem to be able to speak for their king. They're almost like heralds. They come mm. down as heralds and diplomats, mm. really. But, but there's more to it, isn't there? There is. And again, uh, people often discuss the role of satire in uh, Irish, both in Irish stories and in the tradition. Yeah, poets were supposed to be so great that they could bring blemishes on the face of people exactly. or praise them and everyone would go, oh, have you heard? They're so good. Exactly. Oh, yeah, you know. Oh, we must follow them. They're really good. Yeah, so <laughs> it, it, it's a very important role. And again, I think that the connection between... Spin doctors. Well, it's it goes a bit deeper because yeah, the connection between satire and particularly raising a physical blemish I think gives us a clue about the idea that of the power of words and words being spoken by a person of power. And we have that earlier on in the story of Moitura with the poet Carbra, who gets a very lean reception in the house of Bresh, the king who's... Uh, now, later on, we'll go, we'll tell we'll the come story back to next that. Series. But again, it's his words and his satire that are supposed to end the prosperity of the house of Bresh. He actually destroys him through his yeah, words, doesn't essentially, he? essentially, yeah. Yeah. 
uh, it's quite modern, but I think the real difference, as you say, is here. What they say, the words produce physical effects. Yeah. And words can produce physical changes in the world. Exactly. Well, they can, but maybe it's a little more than metaphorical. But mind you, there is one poet, Lou, the Eldonoc, the many crafted one. You know, he's kind of important in Moitura. Mm. But he gets to be his own poet. He's a leader, a king, but he doesn't have to have a poet tagging mm. along. He gets to be his own king. And speak for poet, himself. Rather. Yeah. He speaks for himself. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's get back to Morrigan. So the Morrigan, she didn't. She has the power of a poet. Yeah. But poets, they didn't hang around in threes, did they? Not generally, no. Um, this, this issue of of uh, seeing the the Morrigan as or a trilogy, Morrigan as a trilogy, as mm. as as having three parts, um, that comes into an awful lot of the glossaries. It comes into some of the glosses on the Middle Irish Tales and so on. Um, it's different everywhere you look in yeah. terms of what that three is composed of. She's referred to as uh, Bathav, or Bive, as we'd say in, in modern Irish, too. Sorry, I've been using the modern version. That's fine. I use the modern version, too, because yeah. it's what my cat's called. Um, <laughs> I love the way you call your cats after birds. Yes, that is definitely Scalella. Um So she's often given the name of, of Bive, of uh, Nevin, uh, sometimes Macha, and in one gloss, even Danu. Um, but I think that this is a bit of a... a a little bit of a stretch to try. A bit and... of a red herring. It is a bit. Definitely, Danu is a completely different figure. Her name means the crafted one, and her role is as the kind of emblematic, almost like a professional patron to the people of to a day. Yeah, Danu, yeah, the yeah. Crafted she, people. Their patronymic. So yeah, their name. Yeah. A uh, mucker. I mean, we've we've encountered her before, and I and though she is occasionally connected with war in mm. that sense, the acorn crop of Maka. Mm. Uh, we, we discovered that uh, she is completely different from yeah, that. Yeah, she is. I mean, we talked about her name being associated with pasture. Yeah. And it's only kind of laterally, I suppose, also that the seat of power in Ulster is named for her. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, you know, the Ulster armies would use her as a, a battle mm -hmm. cry almost. Um, and Nevin as well, we have, you know, other sources for her insofar as she's basically, along with her consort, Nate, who sometimes is called Net, N-E-T, um, they seem to be kind of the grandma and the granda of absolutely everybody, everybody. both Tua de Donan and the Fomora. The they all have the same origins, don't yeah, they? They all they have all the same Trace back to, to Nade and to Nevin as yeah, well. So yeah. she's kind of like the, the, the granny of the lot of them. Uh, so she kind of has her own separate existence, if you like, um, as does Macha. And like we say, Danu has quite a different role. Mm. Uh, but most often when Morrigan, Morrigan appears in stories, she often appears in the shape of Bive, Bathav, which just means crow. It's just a crow. literal word for crow, exactly, isn't it? Exactly, yeah, um, yeah. Now, sometimes they, they're connected up like this because they're considered to be um, figures of, you know, territory, mm. sometimes called territory or sovereignty goddesses. Yeah. But there's not much to back this up, really. You're saying that Maka, obviously, is connected with our Maka. Yeah. Um, but... Nevin has this ancestress quality. Yeah. Um, Bive has nothing to do with um, territory. No, not especially, no. But um, what we do get, of course, from Bive, from the crow, is um, a bird that you would see eating dead flesh. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. there, that would naturally be associated with a battlefield or indeed anywhere else that yeah. bodies are decomposing. 
But then, of course, they've been described as um, three sisters. Yeah. The daughters of Erinmus. Yeah. If I got that right, Erin mm-hmm. Must, who, um, they, they, well, mind you, she's another ancestress figure, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, very much. And she has um, this trilogy of daughters in one version. And also, she's the mother of another trilogy, who I think were Fotler yeah. and Bamba and Eru. Yes. Well, interesting enough, I mean, all those three have given their names to Ireland at some point. Yeah. And so you've got these two, two trilogies. You've mm. got the, if you were going to look at it in classical terms, it would almost be seen as the Furies and the graces so have we got something of a classical rationalization going on here i think definitely when it comes to the morrigan that i i think that she becomes a triple uh, figure in analogy to the furies most often in many texts uh, whenever morrigan or bive is mentioned they put a little gloss that says that is the furies and in, in one story in particular she is repeatedly called alecto who's one of the the three furies and the writers of these uh, medieval irish texts and particularly i think the the writers of the recension one of the Thoin Bocunia mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of the the uh, catalogue of cooley they would they were definitely aware of classical texts and traditions and that they may have been consciously drawing parallels and saying oh there's some of the things that the morrigan does in the Thine that's a bit like what the furies do like in in the aeneid so let's just draw those parallels there and then as a result because there are three furies then there has to be three morrigans mm-hmm. so in fact you've already got obscure figures yeah um then they they take on that you, you've got to find some way of rationalizing them so they get yeah. grouped together exactly yeah um and yeah, I mean, she is an interesting figure. I mean, I can see how she would connect with Bive, yeah. the crow. She's got strong connections with birds, generally. Yeah, well, she's often described, isn't she, as a sort of nightmare figure, um, the shape-shifting phantom. I, I mean, I know her name means great queen, but occasionally it's translated as phantom queen, isn't it? It is sometimes, but I think that's a little bit of... Uh, backwards etymology if you like that you mean backwards rather than well retarded etymology uh, yes yes actually things being the wrong way around insofar as i would stick with the more regan being great queen yeah but that after she sort of degenerated almost into this spectral figure that then the gloss the glossators uh, who were writing glosses decided that you know more must be mean a phantom or spectre right, and so right. she was a phantom queen rather than a great queen and i think that so, it goes that way around so what's the word for phantom then uh, well, there are loads of words in terms of Taivsha and uh, I think Shivra is another one. You know, th- there's plenty of words for things that are spectral and right, scary. Right. But one that crops up quite a lot in the kind of contexts that are associated with, with Morrigan is Uath, mm-hmm. which is often translated simply as meaning fear or horror. horror. But it, in some contexts, it seems to be referring to an actual being, something that brings terror in the night. Okay. And it's it's associated with nighttime... Sort night of, terror. Night terrors, absolutely. Yeah. And, and kind of a bringer of nightmares, really. Mm-hmm. And how does she connect with that? It's, again, th- sometimes through glosses. Um, it's often in descriptions of her, like, for example, when she is... Uh, 
inciting or, or inducing fear into her enemies. She then becomes a... Uth. Uth. Uth is what she's... Yeah, it's the sort of shape that she's in, so if you like. So when she does that, she is an Uth, Uth a yeah. shape in the shape of an Uth. Yeah. Mind you, she kind of changes her shape quite frequently. I mean, all through the time, she's changing shape all the time. I mean, what is she? She ends up as a young woman, well, uh, an, an old, old woman. woman uh, uh, an eel, a she-wolf, <laughs> a heifer, and, of course, our friend the crow. Yeah, and then Moitura, she's... Um, Quite stable, physically speaking. In physical terms, yes. <laughs> Might you, in the story, what's the other one? Odras. Odras, yeah. Now, th this is a Dinhenicus, so it's a, it's a place lore poem from the metrical Dinhenicus. And uh, it's in terms of the place lore, it's describing the origin of the river Odras, which is near Kruachan. And the Morrigan has a role to play in that. But she's not the one changing shape she changes a woman called others into the stream someone else's shape yeah so but the picture that we've been painting it kind of backs up this uh, at the moment backs up this idea of uh, uh well put it this way that it's not surprising to think that in modern fiction she ends up getting portrayed as a triple goddess of war destruction or even an ugly and evil witch yeah uh, but i think then that she was demonized very early yeah. on well maybe we should um go and look at the stories themselves and see what we can find out so let's open a a story archaeological trench or two and yes. see what we find. Yes. Now we know which story cycle she appears in, so it seems that that's the place to begin. Yeah. Um, should we start with the Toyn? Might as well start with the Toyn Bolkulnia, uh, otherwise known as the Cattle Raid of Cooley. Uh, it's possibly the best known of the Irish sagas, although that's a little bit disappointing because it is essentially a great big handbook about how to do things wrongly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. How not to run a country, how not to fight a war, etc. Essentially, it's... It's, it, um, it's a wonderful, heroic tragedy. It is, yeah, yeah. But uh, it, it revolves around uh, Queen Maeve and King Alil of uh, Connacht, and Alil has this wonderful bull, the Finn Venac, the white-horned bull. Mm -hmm. And Maeve wants to match him with her property. So she decides to go off and steal the Dun Coolnia, the brown bull of Cooley, and, uh, which is being held up in Ulster. And as a result, Ulster and Connacht go to war. And uh, for a lot of that time, Ulster is single-handedly de uh, defended by Cúchalan, the half mystical, half-godlike uh, young warrior. Um, and, of course, it's all about how the great he wants, is. That's the one who wants a short life but a merry one. Oh, yes. Live <laughs> fast, die young, leave a horribly mangled corpse, which is exactly what he and did. A lot of half man a lot of horribly mangled corpses along with him. Exactly, yes. Yeah. But imagine, it's a good story. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, if, if you like, you know, blood and gore and absolute defeat and... and you know, yeah. tragedy. It's, it's heroic. It's heroic. Yes. Uh, still, the Morgan appears on three main occasions, um, doesn't she? Yes. Um, she first has an involvement with the brown bull itself, with the Dun Cunha. Um It said that she appears in her bive shape as a in crow. In the shape as a crow, yeah. yeah. And she essentially prophesies to the bull everything that will happen. So she warns him beforehand what he's up against. Exactly, yeah. Mind you, you know, going around, sitting on a bull's head going, look, by the way, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to you. Uh, but <laughs> it's not necessarily that helpful. 
But this wasn't just a bull, was it? Uh, no. Or it had been a lot of things before it had been a bull. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's one one of the, I think there are supposed to be 10 Fuschgelte or understories that you need to know already in order to understand the thoin. Another one of them, by the way, is about Macha, which we've already discussed. That's mm-hmm. counted as a Fuschgel to the thoin. But the one that tells us where the bulls came from is the t- tale of the two swine herds. I love this story. It's a fantastic story. Uh, it's, it starts off with two swine herds and their friends and they each have a, a, a big herd of pigs and they start insulting each other's pigs, basically. And yeah, this... they go, your, your pigs are really thin. Look, I'm going to prove that my pigs are better than your pigs. Yeah, exactly. But this kind they of... pinch each other's food, don't they? The yeah. pigs starve the pigs and... Yeah, oh, it's... It goes it's... on and on and on. It escalates, let's say. It does escalate. And then the swine herds start changing shape and fighting each other. So they fight each other better in different forms. Exactly, yeah. So they turn into eels, I think, and dragons and, you know, I think they turn into a grain of corn at some point. Oh, it's wonderful. It really is, you know, one of those battles between magicians. Absolutely. uh, Of which there are many in folklore, the the two magicians. And this is possibly the best version of it. Oh, it's great. It's great. But it does end up, their last incarnation, so to speak, is as the two bulls, the white bull and the brown bull. through... Generations. generations after generations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, it seems that the, the Morrigan is involved in the brown bull being conceived. Yeah, yeah. It's just a bit more complicated. She goes mm. and tells the bull, but there's another story. Yeah. Oh, that, that, that's another of my favourite stories uh, about how the Morrigan comes out of the uh, cave of uh, Croken uh, to bring a cow to the bull. And this is the cow which will cause the bull to be conceived. Yeah, it's going to give birth to the the Don Cunha, the the brown bull of Cooley. And now the cave where she comes from is kind of an interesting place because it's a very famous cave called, uh, known as the Hellmouth of Ireland in Mm -hmm. a lot of places. Mm -hmm. Now the cave really exists and it's part man-made and part uh, suturan. Suturan, it's it's quite a big cave. But it's got so many stories attached to it. Yeah. There's so many things that have come out of this cave at times. There have been pigs that have laid waste to the yeah. land. There have been cats that uh, terrify the inhabitants yeah. of Rathcrohan. There have been uh, oh, all sorts of weird birds yeah. that come out. But this time, it's the Mor- you know, And the Morrigan has come out here more than one time. Yeah. This is, if you like her her entrance to the world. Yes. But this time it's a bit different because when she comes out, she's in glorious crimson red. She's described as having golden tresses and red clothes and she has this wonderful red horse. And mm. uh, yeah, uh, But the odd thing about the horse is it only has one leg. Yeah. And it has... Um, a shaft of the chariot because she has this golden and red chariot but the shaft of the chariot goes right through the horse yeah now i find this quite hard to visualize it is a bit <laughs> i certainly never tried painting it i think it would just look a bit ridiculous yeah. but that's the way it's described yeah. and, and she's accompanied by a great giant of a man who who leads the horse mm. The whole thing is gloriously red, golden, and regal, yeah. and it's so different from when she's described as the from the you know just how she's described in the rest of the toyne. Yeah, um, she's certainly no lean and nimble hag here. No. But of course, what she's doing in coming out of the cave is she is preparing for a conception, the conception of the brown bull, 
So it's not the role that people usually associate with her, which is mm -hmm. that of bringing death and destruction. She's bringing life Conception in this Conception and birth. Yeah. But it's still a moment of great import. It is. A moment of great importance. Yeah, and it's going to change the course of people's lives and history. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a transition point. Yeah. Um, now, her second point, a second appearance yes. in the Toyn. Yeah, this is about when uh, she meets with the young warrior, Cúchalán, uh, who at the time, of course, is single-handedly defending the whole of Ulster. Oh, like he would. Yeah, which who are under the Kesnolod, uh, which is the yeah. sickness that comes on the Ulster people as a result of the, the wrong they did to Macha. Yeah. And so Cúchalán is on his own defending an entire province. He's, uh, da -da 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 -da. Yeah. Do you get the feeling we don't like him very much sometimes? <laughs> why, why would you possibly say that now? <laughs> So he's there at it's the Ford. Fair. He's Great at, hero. at the Ford, at the entrance to Ulster, let's say. Um, and he's there trying to turn away enemies. And a young woman approaches him. Now, in some of the versions, uh, she offers him help in terms of his defending of uh, the land. She certainly offers him her treasures, her wealth. And uh, at the very least, Cúchulán assumes she's offering her body. Mm -hmm. And uh, he sort of turns her down, uh, refuses her, uh, in quite a, a uh, unpleasant way. He says that, you know, it wasn't for the uh, attraction yeah. of a woman's behind that he was defending yeah, Ulster. Yeah, it's quite an interesting interchange, isn't it? It is, and, and it's worth, I think, um, actually hearing the exchange that after Cúchulán has turned this girl down, um, that they then have this very interesting conversation or exchange. Um, and I'm going to ask Chris to uh, read Tom Skinsler's version of it from okay. his famous time. Uh, let's see, because I just like the language. Yeah. So are you, he said. I'm King Bowen's daughter, she said, and I've uh, brought you my treasure and cattle. I love you because of the great tales I've heard. Oh, you come at a bad time. We no longer flourish here, but famish. And I can't attend to a woman during a struggle, struggle like this, but I might be a help. Oh, it wasn't for a woman's backside that I took on this ordeal. All right, then I'll hinder you, she said. When you're busiest in the fight, I'll come against you. I'll get under your feet in the shape of an eel and I'll trip you up in the ford. Oh, that's easier to believe. You're no king's daughter, but I'll crack your eel's ribs with my toes and you'll carry that mark forever unless I lift it from you with a blessing. Then I'll come to you in the shape of a grey she-wolf to stampede the beasts into the ford against you. Then I'll hurl a slingstone at you and burst the eye in your head and you'll carry that mark forever unless I take it from you with a blessing. I'll come before you in the shape of a hornless red heifer and lead the cattle herd to trample you in the waters by the ford and pool and you won't know me. Then I'll hurl a stone at you, he said, and shatter your leg and you'll carry that mark forever unless I lift it from you with a blessing. And then she left him. Yes. So it's it's a wonderful bit of exchange. And again, it's all in this kind of prophetic voice of this is what I will do. And he said, well, then this is what I will do. And indeed, in the action of the story... Then they go and do it. That's exactly what happens mm -hmm. next. Um, but... It becomes interesting then because the next thing Cúchulán meets at the ford is an old woman who has a marvellous cow with her and the cow has three teats. And uh, Cúchulán, who's been fighting, obviously, and is a little bit the worse for wear, asks for a drink of milk from the cow. 
And so the old woman passes him milk from the first teat and he drinks it and he says thank you and gives... And a blessing on you for for the the gift. Exactly, blesses her for it and has milk from the other two teats. But each time he blesses her, the wounds that he's inflicted on her in the other shapes are healed. And so by the end of three drinks, he's given her the three blessings to lift those wounds and marks. And then he finally realises who she is. Well, she she tells him. Yeah, she says, she? this is who I am. I'm the Morgan. I'm the Morgan. And, and you've, you've healed, healed me. me. And he goes, well, if I'd done it with you, I wouldn't have done it. Exactly, exactly. So he's still being a petulant little child. Um, but it's, again, a, the interesting appearance of the Morgan offering help and being refused. And so if you won't take her help, then she will hinder him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's help or hinder. And yeah. interestingly enough, the one thing I did note, which we might come back to later, is that uh, every time she says she, she says that she'll hinder him, yes. it's at a ford yes. or at a pool or water. Exactly. The cattle will be driven over water, the yeah. wolf will attack over water, yeah. the eel will drag him down while he's in the ford or exactly. in water. Yeah. I find that interesting. Absolutely, that it's all at the crossing place and at the boundary to the land as well. That it's at the narrow crossing place. In order to gain entrance to Ulster, you have to go through this pass. And this is where, again, he's, where holding, he's holding the transition space. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's one more appearance she makes in, um, in the Toyn, isn't, isn't there? Yeah. And um, that's the, um, oh, well, at his death. Yeah. Isn't it? When he's dying, tied to a pillar, because he's certainly not going to lay down to die. No. And there he is, tied to the pillar, breathing his last breaths. And there on his shoulder is the raven. Yes cackling at him yeah well essentially saying i told you so um but it's it is it's a very strong image and very uh, uh, iconic iconographic image. yeah and uh, it's it's this image that you'll see if you go to the gpo in dublin there's an ushin kelly um sculpture there of cuchulain dying with the raven perched on his shoulder Oh, it's a great image, and yeah. it is. Uh, don't 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 get it wrong. It's a it's a great story. It is. It's just uh, well, cool. it can be a bit of a brat sometimes. Yes. Okay, well, let's dig a story trench in the other great cycle, the Battle of Moitura. Now, there, the Morrigan helps to initiate the battle, but in a different way. Yes, and perhaps a slightly more interesting way. Um, it seems that in order for the Tuatha de Danann to be successful in their battle against the, the Fomorian oppressors, uh, their opposition, that the Dagda, who's the father of all and... Uh, Known as the good god. The good god. Good god. <laughs> and various other things behind, uh, b- besides... Oh, a very interesting character. Oh, yeah. Um, but he has to go and seek the Morrigan to get her alliance almost to help them. So he goes and he meets her at the ford on the river Unshin, which is up in South County Sligo. Not right, very, very close to the Battle Plain of Moitura. Absolutely, or, yeah. Or, or it's it's in that Moitura. area, yeah. Battle Plain of Northern Moitura, yeah. I should say. And when he sees her, and it, in this version it says when he sees the woman, uh, she's standing with one foot on each bank of the river and she's washing in the river at this place where she can have a foot in both camps, more Mm -hmm. or less, on both sides. And she has nine tresses loosed upon her head, which I think is a lovely description. I think it means basically her hair is loose, it's undone, 
um, which of course is a sign both of power and of sexuality. Mm -hmm. And indeed, they meet together and they make love. And uh, the story says that the bed of the couple is known, is the name of that place because of this meeting. And afterwards, uh, the Morrigan ple pledges the assistance that she will give to the Tuatadhanan in the coming battle. And what she says that she will do is that she'll go to Indeich, who is the king of the Fovra, the opposition in this particular struggle, and uh, she will take from him the blood of his heart and the kidneys of his valour, <laughs> which is a very interesting one. I wasn't aware that my kidneys were particularly courageous, but there you go. Um... And indeed, she says that uh, she gives the dad information about where the Fovers is going are going to land, and she mm -hmm. advises him that he should lead them here to Moitura to have the battle. So it's almost she who chooses where the battle is going to take place. Yeah, uh, but again, she she's uh, she both gives assistance, which weakens the king of the opposition, uh, taking some of his valor and and some of the blood from his heart, and she later shows them two handfuls of that blood to show that she's weakened him. But she also has foreknowledge. Mm. of what they're going mm. to do and how things are going to go and it's only after that really that they can successfully mount uh, the assault or hold the battle once they've got her on side and there is a parallel to the story in the Toyne here as well I mean about the time he mates with the Morrigan yeah. he also it's just afterwards isn't it the, he the runs Dagda, he, yeah. the, the Dagda sorry I yeah. should have said that the Dagda runs into Indeik's daughter yeah. in fact he really runs into her literally uh, yes um, now Indeik obviously the king of the Fomora yeah. and it's his daughter now there's a great long story about uh, the the Dagda has gone off to spy the enemy camp. Yeah. There's been all sorts of hilarity. He's had to eat a hell of a lot of porridge from a massive hole in the ground. There's a lot of sort of rather bawdy descriptions that go on about how he'd eaten so much he was impotent. Yes. There were, you know, and uh, there's a lot of descriptions of uh, the fact that he can't hold this food he's eaten. Yes. That are kind Bodily of Bodily functions, yes. But it, th some of that is because uh, Indeik's daughter, after having encountered him, is jumping up and down on his belly. Yeah, it doesn't um, help, does it? No, and taunting him. But the taunts lead to something which is very similar to the situation where um, the Morrigan meets Cahullan. Yes. It's very, yeah. very similar. So maybe I might try and read a bit of that. Yeah. Then the girl said to him, you will not go to the battle by any means. Oh, certainly I'll go, said the Dagda. You will not go, said the woman, because I will be a stone at the mouth of every ford you will cross. Oh, that'll be true, said the Dagda, but you'll not keep me from it. I will tread heavily on every stone, and the trace of my heel will remain on every stone forever. Well, that may be true, but they'll be turned over so that you won't see them. But you will... Uh, you will go past me till I summon the sons of Tetra from the from the she-mounds because I will be a giant oak in every ford and in every pass you will cross. Oh, I'll indeed go past, said the Dagda, and the mark of my axe will remain in every oak forever. And people have remarked on the, the mark of the Dagda's axe. Then, however, she said, Allow the Fomorian to enter the land, because the men of Ireland have all come together in one place, and she said that she would hinder the Fomora, and she would sing spells against them, and she would practice the deadly art of the wand against them, and that she alone would take on a ninth part of the host. Yes. So, again, we do have parallels. Um, 
it, it ought to be added that within that encounter, and again, I think after some taunting, but before that exchange we've just heard, the Dagda also beds Index daughter. Oh, I forgot that bit. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Mind so, you, after jumping up and down, she jumps yeah, up and down on his stomach. And... I know, yeah. It's, it's a bit uh, sort of beyond... You wouldn't imagine it of humans, let's put it that way. <laughs> but you're right, there, there are... It's, it's uh, good to hear the language of that exchange, even if it's in translation because it really does echo that encounter in the time between the Morrigan and the shape of the young woman and Cuchulain. All of that about I will be an eel at the ford or I will be an oak at every pass. I like it even better though. It's funny, you know, it's sort of well if if you know I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna stop you getting to the battle. Yeah. Oh no you won't. Yeah. Well okay then I'm gonna be a stone in the way. Well um I'm gonna tread on every stone. Yes and put a big okay. mark on it forever. Yeah. Then you won't see those stones because I'll have turned them over. Yeah. Oh yeah but I'll still get you because uh, yeah. you know and then I'm well, like and what's more I'm gonna be an oak tree and block you then. Yeah. It's a bit like scissors paper isn't it? Is a bit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> stone paper. Yeah, yeah. And I think the game of it, mm. that there it's almost a game. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it is, it's almost like a game between two people who are uh, having fun. Yeah, play fighting. It is play fighting, yeah. whereas the Cahullan Morrigan one mm. is not. But it then, really feels a different mood. But then, you know, one important difference is that uh, Cahullan denies or refuses the advances of the Morrigan, whereas the Dagda has sought them out. Yeah, and he accepts them. Yeah. And he accepts her help. Yeah, there's an offer of help, which is important that, um, yeah, as you said, in that um, encounter between Cuchulain and the, the young woman, um, she has offered him help and he refuses it. And what's more, he f refuses her quite rudely. Absolutely, yeah. He says yeah. it's not her place to offer him help. Yeah, and basically. he hasn't time for yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. You know, how can you help me? I have no time. I'm busy doing something important. Yeah, Go away. Exactly. Whereas the Dagda, who has gone, he know, you know, has gone to help, mm. uh, gone to ask for her help. Yeah. Because he realises that he cannot win without her support. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the. the the outcomes of the two stories are very different, if you think about it. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, a toy is just this big story of heroic failure, conquest and tragedy. Tragedy, yeah. And I feel that Moitura, although it's, it's a phenomenal battle, mm. it's very much about the reordering of status in order to recreate an environment in which peace and prosperity can happen. So I suppose it's all about balance. It is. And, again, if you look at the responses of Cúchulain versus the Dagda, uh, one of them ends up being, you know, the king over all his people and uh, living forever and being the father to absolutely everybody. And uh, that's it's not Cúchulain. No, it isn't, is no, it? he doesn't get that. <laughs> and, of course, the Morrigan turns up again in the Battle of Moitura. She has a part to play all the way through. She does, and she formalises that offer of help that she first made to the Dagda when Lou has gathered all the troops and all the main characters and asked them what they're going to do for the battle. And the Morrigan puts her piece in there. And part of what she says, as well as saying that she will undermine the enemy and, and that she can go and actually kill people... She starts by saying that she has stood fast and she is definitely an enduring character. Mm -hmm. She she keeps going and coming back and you know, she does stick around all right. Isn't one of her names, the glasses on her names, enduring? Uh, that comes into the poem of Othrus, the, mm -hmm. the Dinchenikus poem of Othrus. She is, she's described as Gnothic, which could mean ordinary, but I think in the context, what it means is enduring or consistent. Always there. Always there, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, uh, as we saw right at the beginning of, of this podcast, uh, she sings poems. 
at the end both to um, provide courage to her people strike mm-hmm. fear into mm-hmm. the hearts of the others and then to speak how the world will be as a mm-hmm. result of mm-hmm. all this now there's one other story isn't there that connects the Morrigan closely with Kurokan I mean earlier on we had her appearing out of the cave and connected with the cave there yeah. um, but that's the story of um, Bukit yeah. and his wife and his wife yeah there are really two stories here and they almost feel like two sides of the same story uh, the prose version is the Esnada Tega Bukit which is the melody of the house of Bukit mm. um, and the other one is a Dinhyanikas poem which I referred to earlier about Othras mm-hmm. now in the prose version the melody of the house of Bukit um, Bukit is a his name literally means hundreds of cows mm-hmm. he is a Boara which means he's a, a farmer. strong farmer yeah, yeah. With, with the status of a lord and he has you know great fertility and uh, prosperity and so on but then uh, a load of troublesome in-laws basically come and eat him out of house and home <laughs> and he's not terribly happy he about that he marries too well and it doesn't turn out right <laughs> well it's, it's through their foster daughter oh, they, they, foster yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they yeah, foster yeah. the daughter of a king and she's got 12 brothers and they just keep on coming and eating them out of house and home. Can we come and stay, yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Until, you know, he's down to only having one bull and seven cows and he goes into hiding. And basically he gets his prosperity back because uh, the foster daughter, Esna, is then married off to Cormac, who becomes King Cormac McGart. Um, so again, a little bit of long and convoluted story, but basically it's about a, a, a farmer lord who uh, starts off wealthy, becomes impoverished and then gets wealthy again. Mm-hmm. And when he's wealthy again, there are the melodies of maidens and warriors and singing in his house. All right. OK, yeah. so it all works out all right. But exactly. the Morrigan doesn't come into that story. Not into that one. Um, but in, in that one, although they do name the foster daughter as Ethna, they don't name Bukhid's wife. That's right, yeah. And then we get to the story of Othras from the Dintenicus, which is a poem. And in that poem, Othras is said to be the wife of Buchet. Um, now, the, the root of her name is the term other, which is one of my favourite colour words because it starts off meaning fresh water and the colour of fresh water, but ends up via an otter becoming a word for dun-coloured. So it starts off sort of fresh water, yeah. clear water, yeah. and then ends, ends up, up as brown. Yeah, sort of muddy brown, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, But her, her name is connected with fresh water. Anyhow. Not muddy brown. Not muddy brown, no, not in this, not in this instance. And essentially that one day others goes out to guard their uh, great herd of cows, um, but she falls asleep while she's there. And while she's asleep, the Morrigan comes and she's brought with her this great bull whose name is Schleven, uh, which translates as flattery or smoothness. <laughs> and through flattery and smoothness, lures away the herd of cows, Buchet and Udrus's cows. So when Udrus wakes up and finds that they're all gone, she's annoyed, she goes off and follows... Uh, the Morrigan um, with uh, again she brings a servant servant boy mm-hmm. with her um, and they follow her and track her all the way back to Kruachan mm. um, on the way uh, the young lad gets killed and uh, in grief for that others fall asleep again and while she falls asleep the Morrigan comes back out of Kruachan and uh, turns her into a stream of water uh, which mm. then bears her name, which is Othrus. Right, right. Now, what the Morrigan has done in this, by bringing this great bull, Schleven, and luring away Buchard's, uh cattle, 
the reason that she's done this is so that the bull can cover one of the cows and that the Don Coolnia, the brown bull of Cooley, will be born from that union. Hmm. So it is really the same story. It is, yeah. So, But according to Buchard, he gets eaten out of house and home by these young lads who keep on coming over to see their sister. But in others' story, it's actually that the, the cattle and wealth get taken away because the Morrigan needs the cows in order to produce mm-hmm. the Baron mm-hmm. Coolie. So two different excuses for the same uh, impoverishment, mm-hmm. I think, there. Isn't there a detail in that story that I've heard about that um, uh, when Odorous complains? Yes, that uh, when Odorous does go and uh, in order to try and get the cattle back, it says in the poem that she didn't have a right to do that. That's odd, isn't it? It is, that even though she wanted to go and get her cows back, that that wasn't the legal thing to do. And that she went essentially as a thief. She went armed and as a thief to get the cows back. So uh, that implies that the Morrigan had some kind of a legal right to, to, to take, take those it. cows. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a mystery in the story, it is. this story, but it's very interesting the way it mirrors and tells the story yeah. of how um, the Morrigan goes and gets the... Uh, the cow to take to or the bull, you know, the cow yeah. to take to the bull, yeah. which causes the, the birth um, of the brown bull of Cooley. And yeah. again, but it also has this connection with the cave and yeah. the water. Yeah. It seems to connect an awful lot of details yes. yeah. from stories of yeah. Oregon. And and we also get more description of her from the poem. Uh, this is where she's described as gnothic, as as enduring, but she's also uh, described very interestingly as fiak ara which if Boara is a cow lord, Fiakara is a raven lord. Right. Um, she's also described um, in a term that's a little bit obscure, uh, could refer to her being shape-shifting. Um, but it, they also use the term uath to describe her, uh, which we discussed earlier. So she, she is described in these terms, um, but she's also described as mighty and great and obviously having mm. this legal right to the cows. So this is an interesting story. It's almost like a folk version of mm. the story which has been told that links all sorts of details, yeah. both from the toyne and uh, um, other ways that she's described. Yeah. And it also gives us this definite connection with ravens. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, that's and beyond birds, doubt. blackbirds, yeah. you know, all sorts of blackbirds, crows, ravens. Yeah. Um, now, I was interested in hearing the story and the connection, particularly with the raven, mm. because it reminded me a little bit of the, some of the Welsh stories. Yeah. Now, uh, the Morrigan, or Morrigan, whichever you, you prefer, I, I, I tend to say Morrigan, I know. She's usually referred to as the Morrigan. Um, the Morrigan, you know. Morrigan is the more does, Irish and pronunciation. And it does sound better, doesn't it? <laughs> I know. But um, it also reminds me of the story of Branwen. Mm. And Branwen... Uh, well, her name means uh, Raven Woman. Raven Woman, in obviously. Yeah. And then, of course, her brother was Bran, mm-hmm. the Raven. Yeah. And sometimes known as the Blessed Bran yes. of Bran. Yeah. And, um, but I'm not going to go tell her story completely, but she mm. ends up getting sent to Ireland. She gets mistreated in yeah. Ireland through her marriage in Ireland. Mm. A lot of stuff happens. But she uses, she trains a starling, yeah. another sort of dark bird, mm. as a messenger to take her, uh, her the tidings of her ill treatment back to Bran, yeah. Bran or Vran in, in uh, the island of the mighty or Wales. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Vran, he ends up... Uh, there ends up there's a great battle where he rescues her and uh, 
and in the battle he is mortally wounded yeah. and his head he asked his head to be cut off and there's a long journey that be, must be made where his head is prophetic mm. and, and on keeps, the, on, keeps talking. on talking yeah. even though it's been cut off yeah and he wants them to bury his head back in England, mm. in the where the Tower of London is now. Yeah, and oddly enough, the White Tower. And there, of course, most people know that there are ravens to this day. Yes. And the story is that if they leave, England will fall. Yes. And that's where Brown's head of Brown yes. was, was buried. And there, there are those who say that the ravens did leave the Tower of London during the Second World War. Well, they War. clip their wings now. Exactly. So they were brought back. and <laughs> Just to make sure. Now they're sure they'll never fly away again. Yeah. But you've got another story which is made probably got a closer connection and that's the story of Rhiannon mm. and of course Rhiannon is well known for having these singing birds yeah. and that's one where their names essentially mean the same thing Maureen, great queen and Rhiannon again great queen great it's queen. just the same ver it's the same, same name title, yeah. uh, so there's this connection with birds interesting enough Rhiannon's singing birds uh, have a different quality mm. they're not crows and ravens so mm. much as birds that um, they're almost like um, they hold back grief they can stop time they are mm. birds of forgetfulness like mm. the waters of Lithy mm. they, they if you the hearing of the birds will take anything else out of your head it will take away grief it will take mm. away sadness but you'll forget everything that you were doing mm. and on the way back with um, the head of Bran yeah. they stop and spend I think it's, it's seven, eight, 80 years is it? no it's four score years it's the second one where yeah. they're, they're stuck in a place where they mustn't open the door to Cornwall oh, basically yeah yeah it's so, crazy <laughs> <laughs> they must open the door to Cornwall Look at Cornwall. No, I think it's yeah. seven years yeah, they spend listening to the yeah. singing birds of Rhiannon. Yeah. So whether that correct connects the Morrigan, certainly she and Rhiannon have the same names. Yeah. Though they are quite different people, but mm. they, they, you know, they have the, they have the same meaning to their name, and they both have birds as yeah. well. They also both come from an underground entrance we've had the Morrigan coming out of mm. the cave at Cruachan and when Rhiannon first she is appears, a Catholic figure yeah she's come from the underworld she from is, underground um, she is another world queen mm. and that the world of Anun is seen as being under the ground yeah. at that point yeah. yeah a mound of some kind yeah now that there is I think this does indicate to us that there's more to the Morrigan's connection with birds than just the carrion birds of crows and ravens who of course you'll see when it were at a battlefield where there's plenty for them to eat and they play a role if you like in the decomposition of a dead body because they take away mm. the flesh by eating mm. it and they, that is an important role yeah connected with dead and tr the, the, the transition the transition of yeah. a dead body to yeah. a skeleton exactly it's another transition point yeah but it, it's possible as well that uh, what's been almost forgotten with the Morrigan is her connection with blackbirds. Mm. And we find this in a poem. Um, I, I'm very grateful to Jacqueline Borge for her work on um, the Morrigan and many of other things connected. And she gave a paper which looked at this poem, which is called Rechna Fothad Kanina. So it's the... Uh, memorial poem of this mm. character, Fothag Kanina. Now, I'm not going to go into it in huge detail. Um, Jacqueline has already done this. It is essentially that Fothad uh, goes to meet his lover but is killed on the way. And so when his lover arrives, um, she has this conversation with his 
his ghost effectively mm. um and so he he spends a lot of it telling her not to say anything um and that it's dangerous for her to be having a conversation with a dead man and that there are all these uh, specters and again Uth, uh these sort of night horrors hanging around because it's uh, the aftermath of a battle but by the time the poem is ending he has told her that she has to remember his death and tell his story so create a eulogy poem for him and erect a gravestone so that he will be remembered um, but right at the end after warning her of all the terrors of the nights and all the things that are tormenting him he hears the blackbird mm, and the herald of the day yeah that that means that night is ending mm. and so the danger has passed and this is along with his um, urging for his lover to create what is a lament, a keening poem for him. Mm. So that, I think, it's a little bit secondary, but it comes into, if you like, the, the, the shapes and the territory mm. of the Morrigan. And I have no proof, but I've always felt that Rhiannon's birds were blackbirds. Yeah. Yeah, um, one of the most beautiful singing birds at dawn. Absolutely, and th they again herald a transition. Yeah, and I have no proof on that, but mm. it feels as though the, the birds of the of the Morrigan or mm. oh, the Morrigan. I like I like the way it sounds. And I, I sometimes yep. use one, sometimes the other, but yep. Morrigan is more recognisable. Yes, it's yeah. And uh, but I felt in some ways that that she has the two sides and the two birds. Yeah. You know, the crow, the raven, the carrion bird, mm. and then the the blackbird, almost like the two poems that she mm. speaks at the end of Moitura. Yeah. Uh, the the song of the blackbird and the song of the, the, the raven or yeah. the song of the crow. The, the song of the raven or the crow is very often, you know, the sort of the shrieking or uh, the wailing that is heard by warriors and then puts this great fear and confusion into them. Whereas the blackbird is the, the herald of, of something new and of, you know, light returning. And, you know, the, yeah. they leave, let it be, yeah. that to move on. Yeah. Um, but... This is just our feelings mm. on this. And it is true that Rhiannon and Branwen never get turned into these evil witches. Mm. As I say, we've talked about it. Rhiannon begins as a powerful Chthonic figure and the lady of the other world coming from beneath the mound. Mm. But uh, And Branwen still has the, prof you know, Bran Bran's prophetic ravens. Yeah. Um, so how do noble women and great queens get to become evil witches? Is what happens to the Morrigan? Well, th there's a couple of threads at work here, I think. Uh, one of them is linguistic. And that is that when uh, Morrigan or Bive or one of the other names that gets associated, like Nevin, uh, when they are... Uh, described, whether it's in a glossary or in a text like the, the Book of Invasions, um, they're described as Bantuathav. Now, this can mean, the Ban bit just means mm -hmm. woman, woman yeah. um, and it could mean of the Tuath, and again, the Tuath are the people, and also then their their kingdom that they yeah, make. The, the um, women of the people, the, yeah, the, 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 the noble nobles, women. Exactly, the noble women. Um, but that, that got somewhat confused possibly um, because the the other possible interpretation is to say that they're the women of the north because we have Tua for the north and that's where we get the term Tuathal which means going anti-clockwise it's mm -hmm. the opposite to Dashal um, and it's where we get it, in fact the, the term for the north Tuath 
does come from the term for the left hand, so anything that goes left ways. Mm. Um, so they could have been the women of the north, um, or, but then that becomes the women of the left hand, which becomes sinister, it becomes backward or twisted. Mm. And in the Middle Ages, so you have this connection with sinister exactly and wrong and evil yeah particularly the, within the christian church yeah, to the point where not so long ago people who wrote with their left hand were treated extremely badly absolutely in living memory here yeah yeah my father was uh, basically told that he had to write with his right hand and he says as a result that his handwriting is illegible mm, and i've met people not that much older than me who had their hands tied behind their back or yeah. every time they picked up a pencil with their left hands were, were, were hit with it you know yeah. hit. um this sense of left-handedness and wrongness wrongness yeah. has come right down to the present time yeah so i think that that's one of the sources whereby the 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 women of the two as in the noble women of the two uh can become then the the, the sinister women if you like mm -hmm. the other thread i think is that uh, comparison that the medieval uh, scholars and writers were making between the role of Morrigan and the role of the Furies. Which we mentioned, in the, classical the, the Furies and the Graces. Yeah. Yeah. And so as the Furies and their like and Harpies and so on, um, and particularly Harpies and Electo are described as having wings. Mm -hmm. And so we have the Morrigan as five, as the crow, that kind of comparison. Um, but then, of course, the Furies become demons and they become, you know, creatures from hell and so then by association so does Morrigan mm, and Bive. Mm. So there's those two things working together to turn this noble prophetess uh, in who does take part in battles and strife um, in order to support her own people uh, but that yeah it, it degrades into being a mm, demon mm, or a witch. Mm. Yeah I mean she starts off yes she is uh, definitely um, she talks of war, she plans war, mm. battles, Yeah. but she's not just that. No. It's... Or that is very much part of what she did because it's an mm. important part of life. Yeah. But it's not just that. No. But nevertheless, so how does a prophecy become cursing? Well, no prophet is particularly po uh, popular, especially if they're not prophesying nice things mm. for a start. But um, it's also the satirists, the poets, and the satirists. Yeah, some of the the male ones become famous, but I have a feeling sometimes that the female satirists, yeah, are just seen uh, as nosy busybodies yeah. or complainers. Cassandras, to give another yeah uh, another classical analogy. Yeah. You know, you remember how Cassandra was never, never believed. Never believed. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, to the point where we use a Cassandra as someone, meaning someone who always brings you, brings you bad news. Yes, yeah. So the, there is an element whereby if, if you're going to prophesy, you're not going to make yourself popular. But I think that there is also from that, that idea of, of uh, cursing or bringing bad luck or ill omen, it does have to do with her role in uh, inciting her side of, of the battle to courage and the other side to fear. Yeah, it's a matter of, yes, you encourage, mm. you know, the, 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 the importance of cheering on your own side yeah. or working with your own yeah. side. Um, she does, yeah, that's one of her main roles, yes. isn't it? But she also will weaken the opposition mm. through, you know, taking the bud of their heart and kidneys of their valour and uh, causing them fear and confusion. And so that then becomes a, a form of cursing you know yeah, and that's a cursing in in 
I think more med- modern times has also been connected with leftwardness. Yes, yeah, the sort of left-hand path um, or whatever. Stones. Oh yes, cursing stones that yeah. get turned anti-clockwise. Yeah, exactly. Anti-clockwise if you want to curse somebody, and clockwise if you want well, to bless, bless them. them. Yeah. yeah. So, and um, one more thing, you know, she's always washing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but why is she always washing? You know, <laughs> you get a washing machine. <laughs> Well, it's, the Morrigan's washing machine. Well, they, they already had the Morrigan's hearth fire and, and well, that's as one of the true. treasures, but yeah, not the Morrigan's washing machine. No, 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 that's right. Some of the, the cooking places yes. are named after her, yeah, aren't yeah. they? They're, they're, a lot of them are, are, are the cooking places of uh, yeah. the Morrigan's hearth fire. Yeah. Hearth fire. What does it have? Hearth fire. Yeah. Um, I suppose it's because of this uh, ancient figure or this ancient image of the washer of the ford. Yeah, that's one of the things you often hear said, particularly because of the way that the Dagda meets her and she's standing mm. at the ford and washing. Yeah, but there's a general figure I think she's become associated with, a sort of another, this sort of, um, symbolic omen mm. that it was said if you saw a, you know, a warrior on his way to battle mm. might see this figure washing a, a, a bloody clothes yeah. in, the, in the water yeah. and if he saw this this was a sure o- omen of his own death yeah. and this image became known as the, the, the washer, washer at the ford yeah. it isn't necessarily the Morrigan no. though she can do the same thing yeah but uh, it, I think it's important to point out that in the example we gave from the Cath Magathurid from the Moitura story uh, yes she's at the ford yes she's washing but it doesn't say anything about blood um, it doesn't say that she's washing clothes. I, and because she's washing herself. She is washing herself. Because of those loose tresses that she's loosened her hair, it's that she's washing she's herself. She's bathing. Yeah. And, you know, that's very often within a myth where a man comes upon a woman and, you know, love-making is going to ensue. It's often because she's there showing herself for who she is because she's naked and exposed and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Again, at the Ford, because it's a crossing place, it's a place of transition. Yeah, there's no doubt that she is most definitely associated with uh, crossing places. Yes, yeah. Uh, whether it's, um, she's nearly always encountered, particularly Fords, yeah. being a crossing place between uh, earth and water. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the, the, a place where a road crosses a river. Yeah. Um, river crossings of any kind, mm. uh, crossroads. Yeah. Again, you know, the, 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 the watch at the crossroads, you know, mm. this whole sort of idea of the, the danger of yes. crossroads. And, of course, places where dances and things took place. Crossroads is a very important place. And I, I think, as well, crossroads used to be burial places for unbaptized, unbaptized children. Yeah. You know, so, again, people that are between, they're, they're not enough, they're not human enough to be in a, in a official graveyard, so they have to go to an in-between mm. place. Because the crossroads is a place which is no place. Yeah. It's neither here nor there, yeah. and probably not the other either. Yeah. And that, I presume, is one of the reasons the dances took place. Yeah. Maybe things can go on there that can't go on in other places. Yeah. That it's not, you know, you're, you, you're out of time and place, so you can do something different there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm not certain whether that was... I don't think that's mm. the only reason that dances took place at crossroads, no. but certainly they are important. Yeah. And the other things, or in her stories, also points where life begins and ends. She seems to be there. Absolutely, As, especially in the town where she's there at, for the conception of the brown bull. She's there for the death of Cuchulain. Um, again, in the Maitura story, she is meeting and mating with the Dagda. 
Um, and then if we do imagine that the daughter of Indeach is also the Morgan in another form, again, there's a meeting and mating there. Mm -hmm. So you've got this meeting and mating. Yeah. So maybe this is one of the reasons. Yes, there's no she's there for battles mm. but that that's to do with the birth and death yes this time of transition yeah so that her birds her blackbirds may sing the morning yeah and her crows may um turn the dead body into a a clean cleanly picked skeleton yeah which allows it to go on to the next stage yeah there's something else that interests me she sort of has no name now, if her name means great queen, so does Rhiannon's. But yeah. Rhiannon is not always known as the Rhiannon. She's just known as Rhiannon. Yeah. Whereas Morrigan, or Morian, is always the Morrigan. Or even the Bive. Yeah. And in in the places where she's conflated with Nevin, it's also the Nevin. Mm, it's always a title. Yeah. Almost as if either it's obvious that that's who she is mm. or that it's a taboo. Yeah. Well, indeed, there are a lot of stories where... She's effectively not named at all, or almost named as an afterthought, if you like. Like that um, incident from Maitura where she meets the Dagda. Sort of, you get halfway through, and then it has, and it just, it feels so much like a gloss. It says, the woman mentioned here is the Morrigan. And if you think about it, um, when she first, meet, first, first meets Cahullan. Yes, she's uh, unknown. She's unknown, mm. or she describes herself as, oh, a princess, or the mm. daughter of... Uh, the king, king Bowen or, yeah. or the cow king. <laughs> yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm daughter of a cow herder. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't. But she, and he says, oh, I know who you are. Mm. But he doesn't name her. No. So, yeah, th there is, I think, a good case to say that her, her name was taboo or just unknown or that everyone knew who she, everyone knows who she is. They don't know what her name is, but everyone knows who she is. Um, yeah. She is a shadowy figure, yeah. though. Um, yes, she, you know, I, I wouldn't call her a goddess of death and destruction, though. No, that that seems a little bit restrictive but for her. But she is shadowy. She's almost a metaphor, and she's always present there at the limbic areas of life, standing outside and beyond. Yeah, she, she very often either instigates or moves on what happens yeah. in a story, but yeah. she, the story doesn't happen to her. No, she's the prophetess, the satirist, mm. the one who stands outside and observes, mm. and uh, or who adds by her words yeah. what happens. Mm. Um, a filler. And of course, in, in Irish, the term for, that's usually translated as poet, which is filler, uh, the root of it means a seer. One who sees, yeah. one who can tell, one who can forecast. Yeah. You know... I think she's a poet. First and foremost. This is the job of a poet. This mm. is the true nature of what poetry is. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Morrigan, the poet. Thank you for listening to Ogilaf Nanagus, conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologists Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody. For more information or to subscribe, please visit www.org storyarchaeology.com You can get in touch via email on storyarchaeologists at gmail.com